when they're applying for these roles early in their career. Look for the things that you did, uh, even if they're not necessarily, you know, I, look, I, I organize a JavaScript meetup, right? Great if you did that, but not a requirement. What we're looking for instead is evidence that you've done enough of community leadership and or organizing and or moderating to know that you're not going to hate it as soon as things get difficult. I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. We're bringing back an old name today with a new face. Uh, so. Uh, sometime, I guess last year, we had uh, Gleb from Nihilus uh, on to kind of talk about the, the business of kind of what they did. Um, today, we've got uh, Ash. Um, Ash Ryan Arwin. Uh, say your name for me. Sorry. Yeah, sure. Ash Ryan Arnwine. Yep. Arnwine. I'm the new face. That's right. I was afraid to screw up. Sorry. I usually uh, get the name right in the green room, but every now and then I forget. Anyways, uh, we got Ash on. So Ash, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what Nihilus does. Yeah, sure. So, hi, I'm I'm Ash. I am director of developer relations at Nihilus, uh, and I've joined Nihilus about a year and a half ago to bootstrap the developer relations function. So, Nihilus is an API platform that lets you put email, calendar, and contacts functionality into your application. So, folks use this for things like uh, extracting insights from email or customizing scheduling workflows and that kind of thing. Lots of different use cases that we could potentially talk about, but the idea here, of course, is build a developer relations function that gets developers excited and inspired to build with our APIs. Cool. You know, fundamentally, Nihilus is kind of a, an API aggregator in the sense that you are making a variety of different APIs easier to use by kind of providing your own design interface to it. And we, we covered that pretty well with Gleb before. I think today is really more just a year in setting up a DevRel program, what are the things that you've had to think about and set up? And you certainly have some past experience at this. Um, I think that's the different take kind of what's going on at Nihilus today. So that's maybe the first place to start in my mind is a year ago, you came on board, the function didn't exist. Uh, how do you think about setting up a team to succeed? Yeah. And luckily I've gotten a couple of different passes at walking into a place that needs DevRel or believes it does. And then, you know, that's basically where the sentence stops and you come in to start trying to figure out what that means. Uh, when it came to, uh, you know, where Nihilus was a year and a half ago, we had an awesome uh, product marketing team um, and, you know, great support and sales folks, uh, lots of outward facing uh, people in general. But when it came to really starting to understand, like, what do we need to do to better enable developers, better help them understand what it is that we do, to have that message connect, and then ultimately help them feel like they're being taken care of uh, when they're building on the platform. Uh, there, there were some aspects of that uh, throughout, let's say, the sales and implementation engineering and support cycle. Um, but when, it, when, it, when you start looking at, for example, um, one of the paths that we're on at the moment is getting to a place as a platform where it's truly self-serve. A year and a half ago, we weren't. So you would always have that high touch white glove treatment from Nihilus when integrating. And that's amazing. But at the same time, uh, that's 
tremendously difficult to scale, and I probably don't have to get into why most of the listeners here would, would know that. Uh, so how do you start to build out um, developer education uh, pieces where people can come in and really, without having to talk to somebody or knowing a phone number of somebody at Nihilus, if they don't want that, they can just build. And how do you ultimately make sure that they even know who we are in the first place if it's not someone directly reaching out uh, through some sort of a sales motion? Again, that's a super valuable part of what we do, but we also needed to go bigger and really kind of blow open the, the top end of the funnel, if you will, to enable developers to find us and ultimately to succeed as they started kicking the tires on what our APIs can do for them. So those were kind of the open-ended questions when I started out uh, about a year and a half ago had tremendous amount of support from around the organization. Uh, and yeah, we're about a year and a half into that journey. So you kind of men mentioned like, you know, this sort of brand recognition piece. And I almost would sort of reframe that as just building street cred with developers is kind of the way I heard you say that. Um, but I, I think all of this, what you're sort of enumerating through in my mind, and this is uh, just from years of seeing uh, folks go into DevRel and find themselves in precarious situations is, sort of you have to justify why the role exists and why it brings value to the business. And I thought that was interesting that you're touching on there were customer folks, customer facing folks before trying to deal with this. So do you see it that this uh, boosts the capacity of sort of those support, customer success, whatever other functions? Um, at some point, yes, although I wouldn't draw necessarily a direct line. Um, you know, if there's a there's certainly a Venn diagram there and we'll be figuring out some of that stuff continually. But at the same time, like let's look at, for example, just like people knowing that Nihilus exists in the first place when they have a problem that we can solve. Um, one of the main things we really wanted to focus on early on as a small team, as a team kind of getting up and running even internally at the company, was focusing more on what can we do that has the capacity to be high leverage activities. And so for example, like a lot of times, uh, and I certainly had this when I first joined, you'd be like going out, meeting different people in the company and saying, oh, so you're gonna be our, our hackathons guy. And you know that's pretty typical. So I'm, I'm used to hearing that as a response to developer relations in the beginning. Um, but quite honestly, no, that, that wasn't where we wanted to start it at all. You know, and the, the reason is it's just incredibly resource intensive in all, you know, sort of meanings of the word resource to do things like that. And then to turn around and prove some sort of result. It's a valuable activity at some point, but that's really not where we needed to start. Where we needed to start was really around uh, a couple of different things. One was um, we had a sort of dis discovery issue, if you will, where um, let's just say that organic traffic at the time wasn't what it could be, especially for the developer audience. And part of that just had to do with we didn't have the content out there. So really starting to figure out, like, how can we bring on some developer advocates who are super creative, great at writing, um, great at kind of putting their ideas together and communicating them in a way that get developers interested. Um, so we've had, especially over, I'd say, the past six months, just a, a tremendous uh, interaction and partnership with our uh, SEO team uh, on the growth marketing side, and, and it's been incredible. So we're, we're just really excited about that. Uh, at the same time, let's say, for example, a developer has found us, they know they want to do something with our APIs, uh, maybe they have a use case. And it's one thing to have 
marketing content that speaks to the purchaser persona or the decision maker, but it's totally different to sort of have content out there that would also help the developer connect with what the possibilities are inside of our, our APIs uh, to give them some fodder for things to consider. So we focused a lot at the outset on you know doing things like blogs, going out and doing uh, live streams on both YouTube and LinkedIn, and ultimately building out this catalog of live streams that the developer advocates have done over time. Yeah. I, uh... I've believed for quite some time that uh, Endeavorall, like content's king, get that part right. Everything else is nice to have. And I feel like um, the the kind of COVID uh, period really kind of killed off a lot of live events that have struggled to come back to life. So I feel like now more than ever, it's super relevant because you're talking about, you know, people are good at writing, understand SEO, like, uh, you know, workshops, all this kind of stuff. It's all content creation, right? Um, so I, that's an interesting one from a skills standpoint for folks who are looking to hire. Uh, seems like priority one, right? So I would agree with that. This is a this is a fun thing to get to chat about, actually, because like recruiting in Devrel is like such a hard thing to do. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, why is it hard? Well, at first, as uh, a hiring manager, I get to go on a journey with uh, the recruiter that I work with, um, wherever that context is, uh, and or wherever wherever the company happens to be. Typically, you know, while you might have recruiters that specialize in hiring engineers, uh, because a lot of times you're doing that, especially in you know maybe the before times, it was at, at, at scale. Whereas with DevRel teams, you're typically not hiring that frequently, um, not the same as like a, an engineering organization. So that means we get to talk about, talk to the recruiters first about what is it, what is it that we're looking for? Um, my take on this, and I know there are multiple takes on this out there in the universe when it comes to DevRel, but for me, all other things being equal without any other data uh, in terms of what the role is or what the goals are or anything like that. What I'm going to focus on or is uh, what I ended up calling, and pardon me for having an acronym here, but what I ended up calling the three C's, which is I'm looking for uh, coding ability. That one's going to be controversial, but in, in my situation every time, it's always been a requirement. Um, I'm also looking for content creation ability um, and sometimes a track record there if we're looking for senior or above, and also community engagement experience. Um, so happy to dive into any of those, but typically you're looking for those three things. And one of kind of coming back just to, to the events part of the question for just a moment, one of the things that I found is really nice about not having to, let's say, have that sort of X percent travel requirement baked into every job description is that it makes your hiring more inclusive. We've, we've been able to bring people on who quite frankly, couldn't travel frequently for different reasons. And, you know, whether it's family or whatever else it might be. And, and that, that feels awesome. Um, see, because there's a, there's a role there for someone like that, who, you know, they're, they're somewhere we can find the best person wherever they are in a remote environment. And then we don't have to like put them on the road constantly. Like, and so that, that helps them kind of like, feel comfortable raising their hand and saying, yes, I too can do this role. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love the three, th 
three C's thing. That's actually really simple and straightforward. It makes sense. Um, so I think we, we already touched on content a couple of different ways there, I guess from, you know, you said coding is, is one of those, uh, which seems kind of obvious if you're in developer relations that you gotta, gotta have something, but I guess, do you look for a particular sort of, uh, spin or flavor or, uh, you know, I'd imagine for instance, you don't want to go find somebody who's spent the last 10 years building some, you know, stupendous giant backend for a massive platform and then go, okay, go write samples all day. Right. Like, how do you approach that? Totally. Well, and so coding in the context of also the content in the community will often filter that, right? Because the, one of the reasons I'm really looking for, even for someone, let's say they're going to be a new grad, um, you can still look for community leadership or engagement in some of their background. Typically, if someone's been spending 10 years building out like a backend and is super deeply expert in that, uh, if they have tried at all to, you know, do the content and do the community pieces of it, they'll, you know, chances are they're going to realize that that's not what they want to spend time doing anyways. So in some ways, having that balance of these different areas is, is helpful in that way. It helps people self-filter, um, especially as they start to interrogate their own background and say, well, where is my history of, you know, creating content in some way? Where is my history of uh, community engagement? When it comes to the coding piece of it, though, you know, if someone's like an excellent developer and happens to want to move into um, developer relations, we can absolutely make space for that. Um, I found, for example, in the past that, you know, people like solutions engineers uh, can be excellent developer advocates because they know how to interface with customers. They understand what it means to have a business need for building on an API. Uh, so they can be really awesome, uh, you know, as long as they're fine kind of going into, let's say, like the more ephemeral aspects of what we're going to need them to do kind of at a community level. The other things that we might be looking for, though, in terms of code are, you know, let, you know look at your whatever your API happens to be offering. And in our case, like, you know, at Nihilus, we have four SDKs. We've got Node.js, Java, Ruby, and Python. So bare minimum, we'd like to have coverage on that if we can. Um, if we're going to be creating content and it's all in Node.js, for example, which is kind of my personal fave, um, and none of the other ones, then that kind of sends a, a weird mixed signal to your customers. Uh, and you want all of your SDKs being a first-class citizen. So um, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we're looking for developer advocates who are an expert at all languages, um, because one, that's not really possible. And, and two, maybe it's an unreasonable expectation. But if we can find somebody who is really good in one area and shows a, a healthy amount of curiosity in another, that might be enough to go with. And occasionally you'll just get really lucky like we have and find, you know, one or two folks that happen to be like really into the idea of being a polyglot developer. Uh, and that can work out really well, but you, I, I would say that that would be setting the bar too high if that's all you're filtering on. Generally, you're looking for some depth of capability in, in one particular language or stack and natural curiosity and ability to learn um, across the other ones. Yeah, sounds, uh, sounds like a smart way to think about it, especially if there's SDK support. Um... I guess community uh, being that third leg, um, you know, I, I know for me, like I try to always get a recognition within an organization that, yeah, like customers are important, but especially if you have developer centric things and open source, 
there is a community of developers around what you're doing that may be customers, but you have to have a community voice for it. Um, I guess in some cases, especially if it's open source, it's easy to go find that track record, easy to find how they've engaged. But in other more kind of like, say, partnership API kind of things, harder to see that stuff. So how do you look at gauging like how successful someone's been at, you know, building communities? Well, I think it's going to be a mix of different things. And um, I, I've uh, operated in, in two different contexts of leading developer relations where the core product wasn't open source. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't do things in open source. So that's one area we'll focus on for sure. But I, I suppose like there, I, I like that you called out, for example, that customers, not your community necessarily. And that gets so easily overlooked uh, that I find myself um, there somewhere in the back of my head, there's a talk on this that I just never get around to doing, but basically exploding the, the, um, the concept of different kind of outward facing stakeholders or sort of external stakeholders, right? So you're going to have, for example, yes, of course you have your customers and they're super important. You'll also have a community. There's naturally going to be some overlap there. Um, but just because I think it's really important to remember that just because someone's a customer doesn't mean that they want to be involved in your community efforts. Some definitely don't. And it's important to remember that and use language that reflects it. Um, but I would also add that, for example, like there's a, probably a couple of other areas that we should be thinking about that would, again, have some overlap here. One is your audience. So again, what's an audience compared to your customer base compared to your community? And there's an overlapping circle here. The audience could be potentially way bigger, um, depending on how you handle building that audience and, and you know, cult, um, cultivating it. The last one I'd probably add is contributors. So um, contributors are, in some ways, I think, again, like you could maybe put them into community, but I, I, to me, like that's just like a special, like next level sort of uh, thing that you really want to take care of. Um, and so, you know, there, there are things out there in developer relations, like, for example, I've, I've seen the, the orbit model talked about where it's like different sort of circles, like, and, and people are coming like closer and closer to the center. This is a good thing usually. Um, and that's probably, I, I like that view of the world, but there's also part of me that thinks like maybe these circles are not all sort of, uh, sort of nested Russian dolls, if you will, but there may be some overlap and then some parts where the orbits kind of are elliptical, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, um, we can, in any one of those areas, whether it's customers, whether it's audience, whether it's community or open source contributors, um, measure effectiveness in different ways, uh, depending on what we want to focus on. One thing though, and I'm happy to get into in details on any one of those. One thing I would call out though, is in both of the companies I've worked at, leading DevRel, we have, even if the core product wasn't open source, we have had success engaging developers through open source with our own projects in different ways. And you just don't want to overlook that possibility as having um, some way to get out there into the open source community, even if it's not like exactly traditionally what we might think of as, as open source, uh, there, there's some really good stuff you can do. And I, I think like that's something that all developer relations leaders, and uh, even like folks on the teams should really be thinking about. 
Yeah, well said, boy. I feel like I I poked the bear on that subject, man. You're full, uh, full of great advice. It's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think like at Stoplight, you know, uh, certainly like the idea of, hey, let's have a podcast. It's like, all right, but straight up, upfront, very clear, like this is for the community. This is not a place that we're doing product demos and, you know, doing cust stuff customers want to hear. We have webinars for that and all those things. That's fine. But like this is where you know, we get folks together who are in our circle and, uh, and just share and learn from each other. Um, I was, you know, still my favorite way to, to describe a basic principle of how to approach community from, uh, Adam Duvander. One of my prior co-hosts on here is teach, don't sell. Like it's as simple as that, right? This is not a place to sell things when we're doing community stuff. Um, but I guess bringing it back again to like looking for how to build a team to do this, you kind of touched on the open source bit, but what if there is no evidence, right? What are the kinds of maybe questions that you're probing at that tell you whether or not this is somebody who's going to be a good community builder? Right. So do you mean for candidates when you're looking yeah. at hiring? I'm still trying to get okay. through your three C's. They're deep C's. So yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, so um, yeah, I, I honestly... I don't know that I've been in a situation where I could necessarily get to a place where someone who had had no kind of involvement in, especially as a community leader of some kind, I would have felt comfortable bringing them in. And that's not to say that that's a hard truth about developer relations, but it does definitely speak to my previous experience. Um, and so let's, let's kind of blow open the doors a little bit though, on what that experience can be. Um, and at the extreme end, I think, you know, like people coming out of college and going straight into developer relations is a thing they can do now. If we were having this conversation five years ago, even maybe we wouldn't have seen a lot of evidence of that some surely. Um, but let's say if you're looking to hire a new grad, um, what could you be looking at? Well, chances are they're not you know, probably they're not leading like, uh, I don't know, New York's biggest JavaScript meetup, for example. Maybe they are. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, but there are other things that we can be looking at. And you're not necessarily looking for like, was it a technical community, right? So you can start to instead look at different aspects of what they've been doing. For example, were they a TA in college? Or did they have some kind of club that they were actively involved in from a leadership perspective. And if they can really talk you through that and have a, have a great story to tell, I think that's important. The reason why this matters ultimately is this. A lot of people think they want to be in community until they're in it, I think. <laughs> At least I've seen this over and over Ooh, again. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so like, this is one of those things where, especially when you're, if you're hiring for a team that isn't going to be huge uh, and it's, you know, or you're bootstrapping a team as, as I've done a couple of times now, you're really looking for people that already know that like, this is their happy place. Even if they don't, you know, again, like you could have been an organizer for your local soccer club or whatever. Great. If you were in college and that's what you were doing and you also are great at JavaScript and you, you like writing articles about plants. Somehow or another, all of these things come together. We, I can work with that as, as, a, as a manager to get all of those skill sets aligned for someone earlier in their career. Um, and so that's what I would also often encourage candidates to consider as well. It's like when they're applying for these roles early in their career, look for the things that you did, uh, even if they're not necessarily 
you know, I look, I, I organize a JavaScript meetup, right? Great if you did that, but not a requirement. What we're looking for instead is evidence that you've done enough of community leadership and or organizing and or moderating to know that you're not going to hate it as soon as things get difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, <laughs> this is definitely one of those jobs that's like, uh, if someone goes, Hey, I think I want to do DevRel, you know, you know, this isn't for everybody, right? It's a weird, mm -hmm. ambiguous thing. And to your point, like community can get messy real fast. <laughs> uh, I love that though, that in some sense, you're looking really more for a, a, a mindset and approach and a comfort with the crowd, so to speak. Um, another, you know, another thing for me, and I'm, I, I'm not, uh, you know, it's just chit chatty stuff here, not necessarily a hard question, but I'm curious to hear your take is uh, having done a bit of this kind of hiring myself before, um, I'm always looking for somebody who has that understanding of how to sort of like hack a trend, right? It's like, if all of a sudden, everyone's talking about a subject that, you know, they just go, Oh, I know what will get attention on that. Uh, so I'll, I'm going to pick on uh, Nicolas Grenier, uh, who I hired at Typeform, and that is still there as far as I know. Um, while we were interviewing him, and kind of had like a little lull between interview people, I think it was like Slack had announced a, a feature around form stuff. And we're like, oh, how's that going to fit in with Typeform? And I start getting calls one morning uh, or you know, messages and stuff from like our executives and our salespeople, all these different people saying, did you see this, this thing that this guy built against this Slack forms thing? It's so cool. And I'm just grinning ear to ear. I'm like, because he went off and built a thing that got everybody in the company's attention. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's it. You got it. You understand the like how to jump on something people were paying attention to anyways and getting some free marketing out of it. So, you know, I'm curious from your perspective that on this set of weird soft skills that you're looking for, is that a thing that you sort of think about? Yes. Uh, and we're literally thinking about it this week and you can probably guess what it's about. Um, <laughs> Had. We've, we've had our developer advocates uh, starting to already put out content related to leveraging GPT mm -hmm. APIs inside of, say, for example, an email integration. So like the, the most recent live stream on our YouTube channel that our developer advocates did is around basically um, working with the Nihilus APIs to, I believe, send and receive emails. Uh, but ultimately, like when you write something and then you want to Sort of translate it or localize it, you can use GPT for that and then ultimately send. That's that's something that they're kind of broaching that topic uh, kind of a little bit here and there, but I love that we're having open conversation about it. And by the way, for, for the people that manage teams, one of the really important things about this is um, if you have content creation processes that are on a schedule, we do. I mean, we ship a blog post and two live streams a week, which is a lot. Um, you've got to, as a manager, make space for people to have these crazy ideas and push some other stuff out of the way to get it out there while it's hot. And that's something that is, you know, I'd say that we're still figuring that out, but we, we are actively, we know that that's a thing that we've got to inject some more flexibility into our process and make the space for it. The other part of it that's really important uh, in my mind is just kind of the way I think about developer advocates in general is they're equal parts uh, engineer and creative. Both of these things require a ton of like 
time to focus on deep work, to experiment, to really get in there and just be left alone and, you know, let them play and ultimately know that when they know what their sort of schedule is or their OKRs are or whatever else that they, they will deliver on that, but you've got to get out of their way and let them work. Um, so I think kind of both of these things is really important in your content process. They need enough space to play with things as they come up, even if you are planning content two months in advance, which we do. Um, so that's an interesting balance that you have to strike. One other facet of this that I might recommend folks consider is also, um, yes to the external trends, whatever it may be, but also consider that uh, internal trends are equally as important with your product, for example. So one of our developer advocates has really been focusing on our new onboarding flow, which we've just started rolling out at Nihilus to you know, a small percentage of our new signups. This onboarding flow is super cool, uh, as dreamed up by our product team and our engineering team and uh, our designers, which is like you you show up and uh, you basically select a use case. Um, say, I, I want to send and receive email in my application that you pick your stack. It's like I'm going to do node and react. Then on one side, you get a tutorial and live kind of like you can follow through with the code at the same time, like you can export that code as a repo and pull it on down and follow along if you want to. So this is obviously really important for us. And uh, we've had the DevRel team also super involved in this process. Um, but what's really cool about it is I've already seen before we've even done the full launch that our developer advocates are using that internal trend and taking those little applications that we can bootstrap for our customers and extrapolating from there on live streams already. And it's super cool. I mean, it helps us move faster, but we're also like dog fooding the experience. And we're just coming up with like uh, better ideas with perhaps even like a nicer UI than we might have on our own. Well, I'm gonna suggest right now uh, that your three C's needs to be amended with a fourth C of creative. Uh, Cause certainly a lot of what you're touching on there, I think it's a critical attribute. And I totally agree with you uh, that like make space to play uh, and just come up with ideas, right? Um, but I, I also think here that you're touching on really this, what I see is, is really a more mature view of developer experience is that, you know, if you're bringing developers onto your platform, there's a whole lot of variables to consider. And it's not like DevRel's just going to go master that alone. There's product, there's engineering, there's marketing. Everybody's got to kind of have this shared perspective on what makes a the experience great for developers, right? But I'm curious on this topic of kind of developer experience, are there other facets that you look at to say, you know, gauge whether or not it's working? Yeah, so currently, for example, and actually, let me start with just your affirmation of what you just said there, which is, uh, you know, when, when I joined Nihilus, we were already starting to talk developer experience at a high level and realize that this is something that we need to get a lot better at as a company. And, I, you know, I, I've heard it said in multiple contexts, not just at Nihilus, but in other places that if you ask 10 people what developer experience means, you're going to get, you know, 11 different answers. And so, but maybe that's not always the worst thing, as long as you're aligned on the outcomes, because, I, you know, to... When Gleb was on, uh, our CEO Gleb was on this podcast last summer, he alluded to the fact that DevX, you know, isn't just a team, 
Now, in a large corporate environment, sure, it could be, but we're 150 people. If we're only thinking about the experience of our customers in an isolated sort of silo of five or 10 people, like that's that's trouble. And so that's one of the things he was really working on engendering across the company was like, hey, uh, we, we've all got to be thinking about this. And and so f- for us, like we, we'd look at making sure we've got an awesome, solid collaboration skill across marketing and product and engineering and design bare minimum so that we were able to ship products and uh, ultimately experiences that are really going to connect with developers. How we know it's working, um, let's say, for example, in our onboarding, you know, like you're looking at things like ability for developers to get to completion in the first place or feature discovery, right? That's another thing we're focusing on is just like, are people finding our new onboarding experience? And then are they getting to the end of it? And um, so on and so forth. So um, I'd say that right now we're, we're really at a stage where, particularly for onboarding, where as we slowly ramp up the launch of this thing, um, looking at the numbers and seeing like what we can learn from them. The other thing that I really like is we're starting to reach out to folks that got that experience and just like offer to sit down with them and ask them questions about it. Um, Metrics are super important, but there's something about being able to sit down with a developer and uh, kind of really understand like, what were you expecting? What were you trying to get out of this? How did it work for you? Uh, There's just insights that you're going to pull from that. Um, So sometimes there's going to be a bit of, let's say, resistance to the notion of, oh, this doesn't scale, sitting down and talking to, to customers. But of course, the reality is we're not going to talk to all of them. But you know early on in the endeavor, it's really important to try to champion for that. And I'm really glad that we're doing it. Well, <clears throat> there's kind of a, a habit I have here is we, we get through you know, 20, 30 minutes of talking about a, a, a discipline or how to, you know, to build something. And I, I'm trying to be empathetic to listeners who Maybe they haven't done any of this stuff yet. And they're just going like, I found this episode because I'm trying to decide what I should do for DevRel. I don't really know what this is. And you just listed off a whole lot of things, a whole lot of activities, right? And it's like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. Um, how do you get started if you got to go in and do it all from scratch? Maybe one of my favorite questions is how you get started. So I think a lot of companies out there definitely approach developer relations as something they feel like they might need but don't totally know what that's going to entail. And so one, I'd say approaching this with an open mind and talking to practitioners that have done this stuff uh, is important because if, you know, if your first thought is let's do hackathons, like I I would, I would uh, submit that you're probably not exactly on the path to success. So taking a, a more open mind about this and, um, finding folks that can help you bootstrap this function, um, the developer relations function rooted in the, in the business. <laughs> so it can be easy to jump right past that and move into tactics and all, and you know, that kind of thing that DevRel does uh, really well, but you really want to start by kind of focusing on where's this business right now, what do developers need that they're not getting currently, and then unpack that into different, um, areas of responsibility for that team. 
So I think really, if you're just like, I think I need this, but I'm not sure what it is. One, you really like kind of do a little bit of the homework. Um, there's some great books out there. I'm sure some of them have been mentioned on this podcast before, but uh, The Business Value of Developer Relations is a great one by Mary Thingvall. Um, there's one called Developer Relations, um, full stop, I believe. Uh, and it has a number of different authors it's on my shelf, but I won't turn around and look it up. Uh, and you know, I've seen some by uh, Slash Data as well that they do a compilation of essays around developer relations. But I know it's tough, but maybe you could ask ChatGPT to summarize some of these things if you're interested. Um, but ultimately, get a wider view of what dev developer relations could potentially do to your business and bring on somebody who is willing to start at that place and not jump straight into tactics. Um, and um, really, I think those are the two places I would start, to be quite honest. From there, if you've got a good person who can say, okay, this is where the business is, here's where we need to go, and help you define those areas of responsibility, after that, it's just unpacking the tools in the belt for your specific situation right now. Awesome. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more on this one. Like I, like I said at the opening, and, and this is just from having lots of friends who do DevRel full-time, I've, I've dabbled, but it's never been a thing I've done full-time, is seeing how often they get sort of feeling ambushed at some point when suddenly the business goes, why did we do this at all? Uh, you know, and just reboots the whole thing from scratch uh, happens all the time. And I think it's because of what you're saying is it didn't do step one. Why does this exist? Why do we need it? And how is it going to help grow the business? Right. Uh, yep, 100%. So I love that. Um, I think for DevRels out there who don't have that, scramble to get it uh just for your own job security right um fantastic man thanks so much for sharing uh i think i'm i'm loving your uh your brand new four c's framework we just came up with here i'm, I'm obsessed with this and i think it's going to make a great accompanying blog for a lot of folks to kind of quickly learn how this discipline works so uh thanks so much for for being open and sharing all this with us yeah, thanks, Jason, for having me. And thanks for adding a seed to the framework. I, I fully endorse that and will be using it in the future. Awesome. Creatives, welcome. Always. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question, and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you. API Intersection podcast listeners are invited to sign up for Stoplight and save up to $650. Use the code Intersection10 to get 10% off a new subscription to Stoplight Platform Starter or Pro. Take a look at this episode's description for more details.